I have over 100 followers on Instagram, which means I'm a celebrity now. So if you see me out in public, no photographs, please. It's a fuck a lot of haters, Welcome to the Wednesday, well, Thursday episode of Black Splaining Podcast. Another episode that is a day late and a dollar short because AT&T keeps playing in my face. I don't know, there's like an outage or something in my area, but that on top of the fact that my laptop wants to act out like a black child in the grocery store is why we are late again this week. But you know, I keep coming with the hot fire. So yeah, if anybody would just like to give me $2,500 so I can buy a new MacBook, it would be appreciated. Um, I can't promise you that I'll give you anything in return, but conditional love and affection. And I say conditional because my love and affection is kind of wishy-washy sometimes. So I wouldn't want you to rely on that. Um, (laughs) But look, if you just want to bless me and buy me a Mac, Don't buy me the one with the touch bar, though. Those are trash. So, look, if there is a potential sugar daddy out there listening or a potential podcast sponsor, Apple, I'll take a new laptop. (laughs) So, come on now. But no. So, there has been a lot of stuff going on in the last couple of weeks. And so, this episode, I really wanted to talk about something a little bit more on the serious side. You know, every once in a while, I have to put on my serious hat. Um, but we have had two like landmark cases happen, two landmark legal cases happen um, in the last few weeks when it comes to white supremacy. You know, the uh, the, the white supremacist um, judicial agenda in this here United States, systemic racism, systemic oppression, things like that. And though those are, you know, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse and the trial regarding the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. It is not Ahmaud Arbery's trial because he's not on trial. It is Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan. That is who's on trial. So um, the cases are a little different, but I just want to really, I just kind of wanted to talk about what they meant, kind of go over some... Because it's really, really crazy. And I know social media can really have you like having a warped perspective of where we're going as a country because don't 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 get it twisted. Like both of these cases were examples. They they were not examples of justice. Like I know in the cases, especially of, you know, the McMichaels and William Bryan, like they were convicted, but baby, that was a miracle. It was an act of God, okay? Um, literally everything was lined up so that this did not happen for them. So let me start there. Let's let's start with um the trial of, you know, Gregory McMichael and his son, and then William Bryan. So Ahmaud Arbery was um shot and killed. Um I believe, yeah, last year by Gregory and Travis McMichael. And it was, you know, basically a modern day lynching. You know, they said that, you know, there was, 
you know, they, they always go for, there was crime in the neighborhood and, you know, he was running suspiciously and all of the things that white people say to make you believe that they are the victims, that they, they're, they're standing up for themselves. They pursued him with a shotgun, you know, wanted him, they wanted him to comply with their demands. And when he did not, because, you know, they were trying to make, you know, white people were making a citizen's arrest. This is a citizen's arrest. So when he did not comply with these two white strangers um, in the middle of the street, they then shot and killed him. So let's first talk about how it took almost two whole months for them to be arrested. Now, Gregory and Travis McMichael, those are the two that were participants in the actual killing of Ahmad Arbery. And then Travis McMichael is the guy, or uh, Gregory, yeah, Gregory and Travis McMichael were the two who participated in the killing of Ahmad Arbery. And then William Bryan, the, that is the white man who filmed it. So it took them almost two months to arrest all three of these people. Because as you know, white people's interactions with police typically go very well. So the white, the, the police, the white police, um, they arrived on scene, you know, they're, they're taking notes, they're going over everything. And these three, these three white men, they align their stories. You know, this was self-defense this we were afraid for our lives we thought he was a thief like they they got their stories together they got them aligned and the police were like that's that's great that is what they did no police work they did no investigating nothing like that like didn't knock on doors to see oh well did you see just okay cool right mm-hmm believe this white man's stories and then in the case uh the district attorney decided not to pursue any charges for these people. So the police department, the the office of the prosecutor, all of the forces in this case were aligned to be like, these white men are fine. It was not until the video of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery uh, surfaced that, you know, and went viral, um, that more attention was brought to the case. And people put pressure on, you know, the people put pressure onto the the prosecution in this case. They, They put pressure on, you know, the city in which this took place to pursue charges against these individuals because it was clearly, clearly, you know, a man being murdered by um two crazy ass white men in the middle of Georgia so look so they were saying that because white people love especially like the let's just I I just want to start here white people think you know as a white citizen in this country it is their responsibility as as well to enforce the laws so that's why white people are always minding your business when you're in public you know maybe you accidentally dropped a receipt when you're walking out of store hey you're illiterate you know, maybe you're parked a little too close to the line in the parking lot. Hey, you can't park like that. Maybe you are a young black girl on a 90 degree day and you are trying to sell some lemonade. Hey, you don't have a permit. White people are so fucking entitled. They're so indignant because, you know, the law is the law. 
we have laws and you have to follow them like come on now the white people are so fucking indignant and what's crazy here is that like Georgia is definitely a state that if you were a white person and you were looking to just shoot some black people you could get away with it and they were they were literally on track to do just that they were going to get away with this like I said before the fact that they even went to trial and they had a jury that convicted them was a fucking miracle you see what I'm saying? Because there were no forces that aligned in order for them to be held accountable. Because like I said, this is Georgia. <laughs> you know, there's there's nobody, not a single person in um, a public office or, you know, a, a prosecutor or an attorney, nothing like that. A single motherfucking person in Georgia is going to be like, you know, let's put... Let's make sure we make some examples out of these white murderers who m clearly killed someone on camera um, for not complying with their citizens arrest. Like they there is every everything was aligned for them to just walk free like Kyle Rittenhouse. OK, the D.A. didn't recommend charges. The public could not see the video for a very, very long time. And the people who participated in his murder, the people that murdered him, were just walking around like free ass individuals. They were, nobody was even investigating them. They could have hopped on a motherfucking plane and flew to the Cayman Islands and we would be right here looking dumb as fuck because we don't let these white men get away. That's the thing. None of the things, this, yes, it was, they were the fact that they were convicted and they will now be facing consequences for their actions. That is just, that is a just action. But for this to be justice, like full, you know, rounded justice, like the, the, the district attorney's office would have had to see this and been like, this is a crime. The police should have, you know, got on scene and investigated this and saw this is a crime. A crime was committed here instead of being like, oh, that's Greg and Travis. That, oh, y'all need a ride home? Like, they, they were probably on this scene ordering fucking, what do y'all, what did they be eating in Georgia? A couple of cow licks? I don't know. They was probably ordering food, having lunch together. You know, they probably got on that scene and they're like, oh, well, there, there's been a report of, you know, a, a heinous crime, you know. And then they're like, oh, what? Greg and Travis? Well, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't hurt a fly. You know, these, these, these boys, I've known them back since my Nana was there. You know, they, they're, they're all connected because we know, especially, you know, the police in communities like, especially in states like Georgia, where, well, I mean, white supremacy is woven into policing every single solitary place. But if there was one state where all you got to do is dye your clan robe black and you're a police officer, it's Georgia, okay? <laughs> it's Georgia. So that's what I'm saying. Like, there, oh, the, the odds were stacked against any kind of justice, any kind of, you know, just action being the result in the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery because of the way that it was gone about. And that is...
because of white supremacy. It is because of the fact that the racism and the oppression that we see is systemic. Because if it wasn't, then, you know, all of the forces would not have aligned to almost have given them a free pass at murder. Because that's literally what almost happened. So this divine intervention that we saw that allowed them to be tried and convicted was definitely a step in the right direction. Because I think especially the visibility that this case got because of social media and the intense scrutiny that all of the parties involved saw because of social media, that was the only reason we got to this point. True justice is the DA being disbarred, the DA being removed, the DA facing formal charges, as well as the officers involved in the investigation of this shooting. Like you just showed up, you saw a white man with a gun and you were like, oh, that he's innocent. He's innocent. So that's what I'd be saying. Like and this and I would definitely like. I, this is very informal banter right here, but there is a serious conversation to be had about the effects of the intersectionality of legality, white supremacy, and what that looks like when it comes to, you know, how justice is performed at, ooh, how do I phrase this? Like how justice not is performed, but is executed when it comes to black black specifically black bodies like there is a much larger conversation to be had but I'm just kind of talking a little informally because look I know y'all ain't trying to listen to a damn lecture because now I look if y'all want a lecture I got another podcast where I just read where I, I speak very formally and I have sources I've got books but that one's not for the public yet because my mom said it's boring. Nonetheless, in this case, in this instance, the, the fact that they were tried and convicted was a it was a just act, but it's not justice because nobody is being held accountable for the fact that we literally had to fight for our lives to get here. You know, we have to, especially when as younger black people who are like on social media, like Sometimes I'll be on social media and y'all be like begging white people to see you as humans. Ah, 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 ah. Like there are literally white people online who are like, no, well, he shouldn't have looked like a thief. He should have stopped. He should have complied. Y'all just because y'all white don't make y'all the police. Just because you're white don't mean you got a badge. I don't, nobody has to comply with strangers on the street talking about I'm making a citizen's arrest. White people will make a citizen's arrest for anything. If that bitch in California had any fucking sense in her head, uh, you know, if she had more than one functioning fucking brain cell, what was she, barbecue Betty or something like that, she would have tried to make a fucking citizen's arrest for the damn grill in Oakland. White people will try to make a citizen's arrest for anything. And it's the fact you know, that white people think that any form of disrespect is a death sentence. You know, like, um, it, it's, it's a death sentence. Like if you, let's say, um, what's an example? Like if, you, if, if you're not like, oh, see, I'm, I'm getting a little tripped up by bad y'all. So let's say you're resisting arrest. They're like, well, he shouldn't have been resisting. Like, that's not a death sentence. If he is, if this person is legitimately resisting and that is a crime, um, then they deserve to see their day in court. 
Like, that's white people always think crime warrants death. You know what I'm saying? And that's not the case. Like, oh, they were resisting arrest. He deserved to die. They were um, in the process of, of, of shoplifting from a gas station. They deserved to die. They were, they were playing their music too loud in their car. You know, in the case of Jordan Davis, this white man is like, well, I'm offended by this rap music. I'm offended by the fact that these young black men are not, they, they're, they're not taking my authority seriously. And that to them warns death. It's that white entitlement. It's that white supremacy that is exacerbated by the fact that their white entitlement is seen in every single solitary structure in society. You know what I'm saying? If you are a white woman and you call the police, they are going to show up and they're going to be on your side immediately. If you are a white man in a position of power, like other white men are going to blindly follow you. The police are going to show up. They're going to be on your side. You go to court. They're automatically going to look at you as the white man, as the victim, even though white men are always, let me just say this. They are always, and I know there's some of you, well, white men did that. I don't care. White men are the aggressors. Okay. In more cases than not, white men are the aggressors. You know, there's all, there's no there's no gray area for white men because the fact of the matter is we're always too black. Like there's no like, let's reform this or let's have conversations about it or let's encourage some type of ideological change. Let's come together. Like they were fucking ordering pizza for each other and being like, let's have a conversation. There is nothing you can do to mitigate the effects of white supremacy through a conversation because the fact of the matter is we're always too black. We're always too black to be talking back, to be resisting, to be walking with a hoodie on, to be listening to loud music, to be standing and waiting for the subway. We're always too black. And that's what it is. There's no reforming white supremacy with any conversations with any common ground. We do need to, and that's the thing, like living in America, that's the, that is the conscious understanding that any black person has in this country is that your blackness will always be the primary source of your oppression in this country. And there's really nothing we can do this until we see some type of ideological shift. And because they love to say that, oh, well, the generation that's racist is dying. I got like two racist co-workers at my job right now and they both 22. <laughs> they both young as a motherfucker. It is the 19 year old white kids with the Twitter fingers that are online talking about Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero. That's not your 67 year old Aunt Patricia. That bitch don't even know how to unlock her fucking Android phone. That's not her. The racist generation, the, the explicitly racist generation, the, the segregation enforcing generation, they are definitely dying out, but they left their transformed ideologies to their racist ass grandkids. And what I can say, what I will say is that their racist ass grandkids are getting hidden they shit for talking disrespectful. And, and you love to see it. Okay. I love how millennials and the Gen Z's, we have all hopped aboard the Nuck if you buck train. You know what I'm saying? Like we see the videos of racists getting their ass whooped and we're like, yep, that's what he gets because it's what they deserve. But the thing we need is more, especially of us, of younger people who have, you know, 
anti-racist ideologies and not just like, you know, I'm not with it, you know, like the the anti-racist on TikTok where you just like change your profile picture and you add the tag to a bunch of your like posts, like the anti-racist that's like, I'm calling in sick to my job so I can go to a protest and punch a cop in the face because there are so many of the younger generation that's doing that. Those are the kind of people that we need to have representing us, to have, you know, pushing and drive, pushing this, this ideological shift and, and encouraging this change and I'll just say it because they're always like, we need to have dialogue. No, 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 Some of your ideologies just need to be erased. Some of you need to stop talking. <laughs> there's no common ground. There's no conversation. There's no dialogue. Some of y'all need to shut the fuck up because that's what it is. But look, I think as a black person in this country, you, you, con- you are very consciously aware of the fact that this will probably be the reality until we are dead and way past when we are dead because... Motherfuckers who look dead are still in office making all of the decisions, okay? So, I ain't calling nobody out, but Teenage Mutant Ninja McConnell, he 135. I'm just saying. And I'm not going to be on here like, you know, your 50-year-old Auntie Barbara at the cookout. You need to get out and vote. You need to get out to the polls. And yet, because... A lot of us feel discouraged by that, too. But what I will say is the visibility that social media has given, you know, social justice and a lot of the causes that that plague black people is definitely something positive and definitely something that I think will cause some type of radical change down the line. Soon, no. But down the line, yes. Now, let's hop on over to the murderous Rittenhouse and... Let, let, let's just talk about how that has looked a little different because let me just first and foremost say we all knew that he was going to get off. We all knew he was going to skate like that Silk Sonic song. Okay. He was going to take a beat that case. Like we, I, we knew. And I think it was very encouraging. And this is as a black person who is from the state of Wisconsin, who lives 25 minutes away from Kenosha. Um, I know what that jury looks like. <laughs> I, I know exactly the type of people that were on that jury and I know exactly the type of mindsets they have. And I know why he got off because I live in a very, like the city I live in is Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's about, um, it is exactly 40 minutes from Kenosha, but if you drive fast enough, it takes you 25. So the, the, the Racine Kenosha are like two smaller-ish cities that sit right on the border of Illinois. So, you know, most of it, like there is an Amazon facility out there. Um, Foxconn is out there. And there are a couple of other like larger manufacturing facilities like Uline and things like that. And a, there is a, a, a good portion of that community that is out there because of those job opportunities. The demographic of people is racing Kenosha is you know Milwaukee is very 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 black uh Racine Kenosha is good portion black good portion Hispanic but still predominantly white and they are the white people who are like I want to work in Milwaukee and I want to take advantage of the fact take advantage of Milwaukee's urbanization but I do not want to be in that community because it's too black those are the people 
those are a lot of the white people who live in Racine, Kenosha. Oh, there's also like some correctional institutions out there. Like there's a youth correctional facility there and there's like an adult correctional facility out in Kenosha. So, you know, a good portion of the community, like I said, is all a part, all, you know, working for those different establishments. But let's get back to the point. Yes. Yeah, so a good portion of, if you are familiar with Milwaukee, because um, like I work in, I live in Milwaukee. I work in a, a suburb called Brookfield. Now, all of my, a lot of my Brookfield coworkers, they, um, they live in Brookfield, maybe Pewaukee, which is three minutes away. But a lot of them do work, like they live far. They live in Racine. They live in Kenosha. They live in Janesville, Wisconsin. They live in Madison. And these are all places that are 30 miles plus away because like I said, Milwaukee is too black. And the police out in Racine, Kenosha, also, like the Milwaukee police, they're racist. Little, Also, you know, there's a sprinkle of corruption in there. And they're super trigger happy. But like the Racine and Kenosha police, because like it's such a, it's a, a little bit of a smaller community. Like you can feel it. You know what I'm saying? Like I got pulled over. I, I interviewed I went to this interview because, like, everybody, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, like, these places be lying when they be posting these jobs. So, this place posted a job. They said it's in Milwaukee. Boom, racing. So, drive out to racing one day. Get pulled over by the racing Kenosha police. And, you know, standard. I know why they pulled me over. I'm doing 50 and a 30. <laughs> Let's get this over with. I got somewhere to be. But, like, the racing Kenosha police are asking such targeted questions are you lost? Do you know where you are? Like, how did you get out here from the city? Like, I'm clearly deriving a car. So, you know, very pointed questions. 10 minutes into the encounter, there are two additional police cruisers that pull up behind us. Um, they all start politicking. They all start, you know, having their secret white meetings and sending their secret white radio signals and really questioning why this black girl who is, you know, driving a car, speaking, I don't know, like a person, like, what is this Jigaboo doing out here in Racine, driving fast as hell? Like, you know, she thinks she better than somebody. Like, that's the vibe in Racine Kenosha. Have no idea why any black people live out there, but it is what it is. Nonetheless, nobody, like, most black Milwaukeeans have definitely dabbled in racing Kenosha. So let's, let's, let's get to the part of the, let's get to the uprising because I will neither confirm nor deny that I went to any uprising protest event or demonstration located in or around racing in or Kenosha. Um, however, Based on information that I may have seen or heard, you know, the evenings of the protests and the demonstrations, you know, were definitely incredibly tense because there were some in Milwaukee, there were some in Racine, Kenosha, like there were definitely some around the state of Wisconsin, but like Racine, Kenosha, because they had burned down like a, a Department of Corrections building, it was like a 
PMP building, a probation and parole. So there were, uh, there was like a ton of stuff going on. Like they had burned, like there were the demonstrations, the national guard was there, the police were everywhere. And there, it was like, because like racing in Kenosha is not set up like a city like Milwaukee, where there's like a clear walking path. There were really like just kind of huddles and groups of people everywhere. So you could just definitely tell that the energy out there was definitely a little flustered. And it was not because of the people. Like the police were doing stupid shit like blocking off exit paths, like corralling people to a specific location so that they could try to harass you and identify you and things like that. So these demonstrations, which, you know, they said were all looting and woo 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 which is another conversation because recently on social media there have been a lot of people you know uncovering these white supremacists posing as protesters and starting shit like setting things on fire shooting blanks at people etc so a lot of agitation nonetheless you know Kyle Rittenhouse shows up armed you know talking about I'm gonna defend you know, the property, I'm going to defend these businesses, I'm going to defend myself, I'm going to defend my people and my country. Um, This all ties back into white entitlement and that white indignance. Like, I'm not taking my black ass across state lines with a rifle to defend Target. The fuck? And I fuck with Target. Like, I don't give a fuck if they burn Target to the ground. They'll build another one. Like, I'm, that's, that's the thing. It all ties back into this idea of this, this white entitlement, this white indignance. Now I can understand if you're protecting your personal property, you're protecting your personal business, but he drove across state lines to protect hypothetical things, things he was not, things he did not know, things he was not connected to. And the, and that narrative is supported by white supremacy because everything belongs to the whites. You, and oh, now that's really the tea. Like, don't get white people started about some property, okay? You really, white people will really start justifying people being murdered, people being killed over some fucking property. Oh, well, he destroyed property. He destroyed property. I don't give a fuck about no property. I don't. I don't give a fuck about no property. I Like, I, I do feel bad when, like, small person of color businesses are harmed in uprising and we because we are disproportionately um you know disproportionately removed from or disproportionately affected by lack of resources in the community is definitely hard for us to rebuild but that's not what be happening most of the time people be burning down Walgreens stealing out of Walmart and taking shit out of Target and I don't give a fuck I don't care you want to steal from Hobby Lobby? Shit, give me something too. I don't give a fuck about no property, but you want to make somebody we want to make a white a white man mad on the internet. All you got to do is say to talk about some destroying some property because baby, don't don't let them <laughs> look. Don't let them get started on no. Pro- he was destroying property. I don't give a fuck. Like, no, don't let these white people get started on no property. So I that and that was a big part of the narrative in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Like, and especially like if you look at the actual trial when the judge is like, well, you cannot refer to them as victims. What do you mean? They were vic you can call them looters, you can call them rioters. 
And you know what the crazy thing is, is that this is literally nobody was trying. The prosecution was not trying to get Kyle Rittenhouse convicted. They weren't fucking trying. That's because you tell me I can't use this. I can only use targeted language to speak about the victims in my case. Baby, I'm filing motions to get you off the case. I'm filing a change of venue. I'm filing everything. And these motherfucking prosecutors were just like, well, I guess we got to change how we speak. Nobody was trying. Baby, this was the OJ trial all over again. They weren't trying to convict OJ. They was trying to go home. They was tired of being on TV. They <laughs> Nobody was trying. And that's the other part about white supremacy. Because you think the prosecution in this case is not somehow connected to the, the, the same police force that did not immediately arrest this, this, this man who done shot these people in the street. You don't think they aren't somehow connected to each other? Us, Wisconsin, us, us Milwaukeeans specifically, because we, we were looking at that and we're like, mm. Mm. And this is just a side note to all of my Milwaukeeans that were like, oh, couldn't be us. Yes, it could, baby. You remember that time that Milwaukee police officer pulled you over and called you a nigger when he was walking back to his squad car? Yeah, it could be us. Nonetheless, back to the point at hand. No, the, 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 the cards were stacked against a conviction in this case as well. And then, and the, and motherfucking people, CEOs, influencers, politicians were donating to him, you know, posting for his quote unquote cause, trying to, oh, where's his GoFundMe? I'll donate uh, 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 legal resources so that he can sue the pants off of these people. They really think this white kid who went to another state to shoot people to protect some things is a hero. And what's crazy is that the most common sense part about this is like, he's like, I was fearful of my life. I was defending myself on the stand, sniggling and crying and shit, talking about how scared he was. My nigga, you got a rifle. You, if you are engaged in a fight, with somebody and you have an automatic weapon you won the fight already and that's what I don't understand because um I believe Wisconsin is a stand your ground state so you there in in limited cases especially or you, it's called the Wisconsin Castle Doctrine um in limited cases are you are allowed to use deadly force against an intruder in cases of reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. But that is when someone is entering your house, your car, or your personal place of business. And a part of the castle doctrine has you know, the, the caveat that if that person retreats, you shooting them is no longer stand your ground. So, you know, or one, and additionally, once you have shot them and once you have neutralized quote unquote, the threat, then 
you're no longer in fear of imminent death or bodily harm. So like I was saying, nobody wanted him convicted. They was in the courtroom sniggling and giggling together. These, you don't think those prosecutors went home and texted that judge and they were like, damn, glad we got this one off. Baby, he wasn't going to jail. He wasn't going to jail. Just like George Zimmerman is somewhere walking around the swamps of Florida as a free man because the fact of the matter is white supremacy is king baby that's that's the thing like in the case of George Zimmerman it was because Trayvon Martin was too black he had a hoodie on he looked suspicious somebody said he might have shoplifted he was too black in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, he is the perfect example of everything white supremacy embodies. A young white man on a quest to defend life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and property, honey. Property. And at the end of the day, that white supremacy that is woven into our judicial system and our legal system and our penal system... You can't reform that. It has to be burnt to the ground and rebuilt. So anybody who want to go in on buying a house in Turks and Caicos and leaving this ghetto ass country, hit me up. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed. I hope, you know, some part of this enhanced your perspective or or just really made you think about something. So until next week or until AT&T stops playing in my motherfucking face. Namaste, y'all. Have a great week. <laughs>